Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, it's Kevin Hart. In this basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back all my game tickets. Plus, tickets for 23 of my biggest fans to cheer me on while I enjoy the game. I appreciate the support, people. Eat that pretzel. This will never get old. Use more napkins. Okay, this is starting to get old. Say the tagline. Cash back like a pro. With Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467 369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1 800 889 9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. I am 
incredibly frustrated with the Boston Celtics tonight. I have not actively rooted for a team at all in this playoff run. Obviously, I've had teams that I've had predictions about and teams that I've hoped would win for the sake of my predictions, but tonight was the first time I was actually rooting for a team to win. I was rooting for Boston to win because if they won... I would have gotten Saturday and Sunday off this this weekend, which would have been my first weekend off in over a month. And I was very much looking forward to that. They had enough talent to do so. It didn't go that way. I can't sit up here, though, and just and say, oh, Boston didn't play hard or, you know, they let Miami get lucky. No, no, no. Miami came in here tonight and played an incredible basketball game on both ends of the floor. Every single one of their players showed up in some capacity, except for maybe Bam Adebayo on the offensive end of the floor, which is a whole other story. And they came in here, and they beat a team that has more talent than them on both ends of the floor. And I I have to give them a resounding round of applause for that. I always talk about how there's a range of outcomes with a basketball team. It's the same thing for players too. Like you're, it's kind of like the floor ceiling conversation, right? Like your, your best punch versus your worst punch. And, you know, Boston's best punch is not as good as, or excuse me, Miami's best punch is not as good as Boston's best punch. And Boston's worst punch might be better than Miami's worst punch, depending on who you ask. I tend to think that Boston's floor is pretty low. But if you catch them on the right night, and Miami throws their best punch, and Boston throws a mediocre punch, they can win a huge road game in Boston to extend this series to seven. We're going to break this game down in its entirety. We're going to talk Jimmy Butler. I want to talk about the rest of the Miami role players. We're going to talk about Boston and some of their late game execution and some of the issues I had with their process throughout this game. We're going to talk some Jason Tatum. Uh, because I thought he was outplayed by Jimmy Butler in three of the six games of the series, which is something that you can't allow to happen if you're Jason Tatum and you put yourself in that superstar class. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Game 7 and what I expect to see there. Before we get started, if you guys uh, could take the time to like this video, I would sincerely appreciate that. It helps us a lot. Also, if you could subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Also, if you can't finish this entire video for whatever reason and you can't spend more time on YouTube for whatever reason, check out our podcast feed. It's called Lakers Tonight. We're doing some rebranding after the season, but that's where you can find our the recording of these shows as soon as we finish, usually about an hour after we finish recording. And then last but not least, follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. We're going to be doing a bunch of different video stuff as we go into the finals. That's where you're going to go to see that sort of video content. But let's start with Jimmy Butler. So, we're going to get to everything. We're going to get to the late game stuff um, here in a little bit. But Jimmy Butler was the hero of the night, and I think he deserves to be up first. A truly bizarre performance on a bunch of different levels. First of all, and I tweeted this out, and I sincerely mean it. This was an all-time great playoff performance from Jimmy Butler. Like, Pantheon-level stuff. If you saw this from a LeBron, if you saw this from a Kobe or a Kevin Durant or a Steph Curry, we would be making the same case. And I don't believe in moving goalposts for players. For Jimmy Butler, this is that type of performance. 47 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, 50% from 3, efficient everywhere else on the floor, got to the foul line. He was unfreaking believable on defense. I'm going to spend some time talking about that here in just a minute because I think it's deeply impactful in a way that a lot of people don't see on first watch. You almost have to go back on the tape to see the different ways that he can be so disruptive to another team in the way they run their offense. The thing that I wanted to start with that's so interesting about this is just the dynamic. Jimmy Butler 
in the previous three games averaged nine points and two assists, two assists and nine points, 25% from the field, 14% from three. Now, was there knee stuff involved? Yes, but that same knee stuff applied today. Jimmy Butler said himself after the game, my knee's banged up, but everybody's banged up and I'm not going to make the excuses. And that's the truth. Marcus Smart is banged up. You know, Jason Tatum's dealing with a shoulder dinger. You know, Jalen Brown in the first half tonight when knee to knee with somebody, if you've ever had that feeling, that lingers for a while. Everyone's banged up. But for whatever reason, the Jimmy Butler that we saw in the previous three games was replaced by a guy who was capable of putting out an absolute pantheon, all-time great NBA playoff performance. And it stole a game on the road to extend this series to seven. For those of you who have been listening to my show for a while... Um, I always talk about the problem with tricking off playoff games. There's certain stuff that's out of your control to some extent, right? Like Boston, what what happened to them in game three of this series, not trying when they came out the gate, is very different than some of the issues they've had earlier in this playoff run. They've lost games because of execution, but execution in large part comes down to your decision makers. That's not something that you know you can focus really hard to take care of in the sense that like that's kind of in their nature. As basketball players, they're finicky when they make decisions. Some nights they are dialed in and they're doing it the right way. Some nights they're not, right? But when you trick off a game the way you did in game three, which was very much in your control, when you came out in the first quarter and you weren't giving effort and you were being, uh, or, or even just the third quarter of game one when you were just persistently turning the ball over. Jason Tatum had six turnovers just in that quarter. That's... That's I don't care how much of a, a facilitating weakness you have. Six turnovers in a quarter is inexcusable. When you trick off games early in the series, you run the risk of an outlier performance like Jimmy Butler going for 47, 9, and 8. Jimmy Butler transforming into prime LeBron James. You run the risk of that happening when you have a chance to close out a series in game six. And that's why it's so important to feel that urgency early in series, even when you're going against a team that you know you have an advantage against, a talent advantage. Because in a large sample size, talent wins. But in a short sample size, variance wins. In a short sample size, you can go cold. In a short sample size, you can make a handful of mistakes at the end of a game and it can cost you. In a short sample size, a player that averaged nine points in his previous three games can go for 47. Or Max Struess, a player who couldn't hit a shot in the last few games, can get hot and make a bunch of key three-pointers in this game. That is the problem with tricking off games. You run into this type of predicament. But Jimmy Butler, you know, it's not, it's an outlier compared to the way he played in this series. And it's an outlier compared to his regular averages in the playoffs. Like Jimmy Butler's typically about a 20 point per game guy in the playoffs. That's just what he is. But we have seen tons of examples over the years of Jimmy Butler flashing this type of upside in the playoffs. You absolutely knew that was a risk. Is it shocking? Yes. This might be his best playoff game ever. But you always knew there was a risk with Jimmy Butler. He dropped 40 in the finals twice against LeBron. That's always been one of the potential outcomes when you're playing against Jimmy Butler. Really quickly, I wanted to talk about his defense because I think, you know, I had people asking like, why don't, in my, in my Twitter mentions, like, why don't people backdoor cut more? Like, why is it that Jimmy can recover so easily? Why does it always feel like he's in the right spot? It's instincts, 
you know, there's a lot of different things that go into defense, right? Like your physical tools play a certain role, your commitment physically, getting into shape in terms of your conditioning, also just your willingness to do the work. There's focus, right, up here. A huge part of defense is that. I remember one time when I was <laughs> when I was playing uh, basketball in college, one time I botched a coverage in a key late game situation, uh, chasing a shooter over the top of the screen. I was supposed to chase him over the top. I went underneath the screen and I got pulled from the game. And I had to sit crunch time because my coach didn't trust me to finish that coverage for the rest of that game. That's part. There's so many different elements that go into defense. That's one that constantly gets overlooked. Your, your focus on the game plan, your ability to execute that. And Jimmy Butler, his instincts, his ability to focus, his ability to do those things in conjunction with his physical tools, in conjunction with his conditioning and his commitment amounts to a guy that can be downright disruptive. All night tonight, I thought he did a really nice job of in the passing lanes, baiting players into thinking he wasn't a threat. That's with body language. That's like, it's like you think of a no-look pass. It's like a no-look steal. Jimmy Butler being in a position where his, he tricks you with his body language into thinking he's in the passing lane but not paying attention or that he's a step too far away to get to a pass. But then as soon as you start your passing motion, he's shooting like a dart into that lane. That's all instincts and focus. But that instinct part is one of the, another part of defense that frequently gets glossed over. Some of this, this is not coachable. This is something that you can't train someone into doing. Some people just have a nose for the ball. We talked about this a lot last night when I was talking about Clay Thompson and I was talking about Kevon Looney. Great rebounders in NBA history have a knack for just knowing where the ball is going to come off the rim. Great shooters in NBA history just have a knack for where to relocate to give themselves their best opportunity to get an open shot. And great defensive players like Jimmy Butler, have a knack for understanding how plays develop. They understand when the backdoor guts com- cuts coming. They understand when the swing pass is coming. They can see plays develop before they happen, which allows them to be in the right spot to blow plays up. Just an unbelievable, masterful two-way performance. When you factor in the degree of difficulty on some of the shots he was making, when you factor in the timeliness of the shots and the impact they had on the game, When you factor in the quality of his supporting cast, he does not have as much talent on his team as Boston does. And when you factor in the stakes down 3-2 on the road in Boston, that is an all-time great playoff performance from Jimmy Butler. So tip of the cap to him. If he does does it one more time and closes this out in Game 7, that's one of the all-time great NBA accomplishments for a superstar. To beat a team, again, like... (laughs) everything's more complicated than it looks on the surface. But Giannis couldn't push his team over the top. If Jimmy could pull that off, that'd be a remarkable accomplishment. Because I thought that Bucks team was better than this Miami Heat team, depending on who you ask, obviously. I wanted to talk about some of the Miami role players because I thought shot-making was a very important part of tonight's game. Now, what is the difference between shooting and shot-making? Shooting to me has to do with your ability to finish plays that are created by people elsewhere on the floor, right? So like if Jimmy Butler drives and kicks to Max Strews wide open in the corner with seven seconds on the shot clock, that's a shooting opportunity, right? To me, shot making is off script. To me, shot making is bailing out possessions, making tough shots over contests. The shots that are on the margins of these half court sets that are not great opportunities, 
you know, over the course of a game, you expect your offense to generate a certain amount of open shots. And then you expect, you know, you have to have possessions that go south, right? And when those possessions go south, one of two things can happen. You can either have guys bail you out with shot making, or you can miss and run back the other way on defense. And Miami's, I think Miami's biggest weakness in their roster construction is shot making. Because most of the guys on this roster require being open to make shots. Guys like Kyle Lowry and Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson and Max Struess, they are guys that typically succeed only when the offense generates them open looks. Maybe the best guy of that bunch is a guy like Tyler Harrow, but again, he likes to come off dribble handoffs and high ball screens to get to a spot where he can elevate when he has o- when he has an opening to operate in. Jimmy Butler really is the only guy on the roster who's a great shot maker, a guy who can rescue possessions. But I thought Max Struess and Kyle Lowry both helped Jimmy Butler tonight with massive shot making and end of shot clock situations. Max Struess made a huge three on the right wing in the late third quarter that kind of stemmed the tide of a Boston run. And then I thought Kyle Lowry hit one of the biggest shots of the night after Derek White makes a three in the right corner to give Boston a 97-94 lead. Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry run some janky little dribble handoff sequence on the right uh, on the right wing. It's defended really well. Marcus Smart kind of anticipates it and gets a late closeout on Kyle Lowry and he just sticks it like a 26-foot contested three. That's not just shooting within the flow of your offense. That's shot making. That's creating something out of nothing. And I think you need a certain amount of that, especially in the playoffs, because of the fact that the easy opportunities are few and far between. And having guys that can rescue possessions brings a ton of value. So Miami's role players, I thought, all came through in big in a big way tonight. The only guy, again, that I could be critical of is Bam Adebayo, who for whatever reason just seems content to basically... Uh, just basically be Kevon Looney for this team. I, I've never seen anything like it. For a guy who dictates a max contract with his impact on both ends of the floor, typically. Uh, truly bizarre on that front. But a massive performance from the Miami role players, a massive performance from Jimmy Butler, and I am working Sunday night. <laughs> we're and we're going we're gonna to be covering Game 7 immediately after the final buzzer on Sunday night. I wanted to talk about Boston for a minute because their execution has been my biggest personal issue with them in this postseason run. Again, I talk about them being the Jekyll and Hyde team of this playoff run. And what that means to me is they have the lowest floor and the highest ceiling or, or the biggest gap between their ceiling and their floor. But it's not typically related to effort. Game 3 was the outlier. That game was the first time I can remember in this playoff run where they really came out flat and arrogant, underestimating their opponent. Which, again, if that doesn't happen, this series would already be over. They would have won this series in five games had they not done that. And they damn near won that game anyway. They had it within one within a couple minutes left. But more often than not, their issue has not been effort. It's been execution. We talk about their decision making. Boston's defense is so good in the half court. But when you gift Miami 22 points off of turnovers, that's, that's a fifth of their production in this game. That's a huge swing. You're gifting them a fifth of their offense by gifting them transition opportunities. That all comes down to execution. There was a play early in the game. It's, this, is a, this, this to me encapsulates the Boston decision-making issue that they have from their perimeter initiators. It's 19-9. to nine. Miami has a, a big early lead. 
there's a nice little betting opportunity. I think you could have gotten Miami at like plus 185 to win the first quarter. Thought about it, but I ended up passing on it. It's 19 to 9. Miami's on a run. Typical start to a closeout game, right? And Jalen Brown comes down after after Boston or Miami just scored to put them up 10. And your offense is not functioning. He came down the right wing and just shot a pull-up three off the dribble. That was moderately contested by Jimmy Butler early in the shot clock. And it went in. That's the wild part. It went in, brought the game to 19-12. But I'm sitting there watching on the couch and I'm like, why did he take that shot? Your offense is struggling. You desperately need to get something easy to get you going. Miami's on a run. You need this is that those are the moments when you have to rein it in with your decision making, not continue to fan out wildly. And it was a bizarre shot. Again, he made it, but to me it's a great indicator of bad process. The the Boston Celtics lack a floor general. I know the Celtics fans think Marcus Smart is a floor general. He is not. He had a possession in the fourth quarter where he just dribbled the ball around on the perimeter literally until the shot clock ran out and jacked up a three at the end of the buzzer and hit the barely grazed the front of the rim. Didn't even throw a pass on the possession. Like Marcus Smart's not a floor general. But because nobody on the team has that instinct, they walk down the floor 19 to 9, and there's nobody to say, give me the ball. Let's run our sets. Let's get a good shot. Let's start executing so we can get this game back under control. It's something actively missing from the roster. It's 99-99. And Jalen Brown draws a foul. Goes to the line. This is literally how the next six possessions for both teams went. Jalen Brown misses both free throws, which, again, it's unfortunate. It happens, though. Like, you can't, I mean... If you're a 75% three point free throw shooter, there's a good chance you'll miss one out of two, which means there's always a possibility that you'll miss both. They come right down on defense, and uh, Jimmy Butler's been persistently trying to attack Derek White because he's small, so Boston's been doing what Golden State and Miami and a lot of these guys have been doing to avoid switches. They're doing a hedge and recover. We've broke that down several times over the course of the last couple nights. Essentially, when the, when the, when the, the screen is coming, Whoever it is that you do not want switching onto the offensive player has to hard hedge. Because if you hard hedge, then Jimmy Butler has to dribble around you. And if he has to dribble around you, he, by, by, in, by the workings of the coverage, should have to retreat. Because if you actually set a good hard hedge, he has to go outside of you to turn around. And so if you do it right, it forces you to go around and it buys time for Jalen Brown to get underneath the screen and recover. I think it was actually Marcus Smart guarding Jimmy Butler on this play. But what happens? They run up to set the screen, and Derek White doesn't hedge, or goes to hedge, but he's way too late. And as a result, Jimmy Butler goes flying downhill and gets an and one over Al Horford. So it's a botched defensive coverage. Again, off of a free throw situation. Now he missed it, but it's a free throw situation. You should have your defense set. That is poor execution. That is Jimmy Butler capitalizing on you not being sharp. Boston goes down. Now it's not uh, 101 to 99 or 102 to 99. Boston goes down. Tatum is posting on the right. And PJ Tucker is guarding Derek White. And PJ Tucker just simply goes to double Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum rips through to the baseline, gets cut off, and spins back. And somehow just was completely unaware of the fact that PJ Tucker was coming. Mind you, before, before J- Jason Tatum even started the move, P.J. Tucker was already coming with the double. He had to have known that was coming. 
He spun back into P.J. Tucker and immediately turned it over. Jason Tatum turned the ball over seven times in this game. Then Boston, okay, so you turned it over. That sucks. Miami's out-executed you three possessions in a row. It's really unfortunate they got a three-point lead, but sit down and get a stop. No, they commit a foul. As we're working down in transition, a pointless foul in the penalty that accomplished nothing for your defense and just sent Miami to the line. They make both free throws. Now it's a five-point game. Then you go down and you execute well and you get a wide open three for Al Horford on the left wing. Wide open. And he missed it. That happens, right? But that's the only possession where you executed properly to get a good look down the stretch. And after he missed it, both Jason Tatum and Derek White and Marcus Smart all just started hacking like crazy at P.J. Tucker. May or may not have gotten all ball. I think on the one that they called the foul was all ball, but the one before that was a foul. And typically when refs see guys just hacking like crazy on a rebound like that, they're going to call a foul. And guess what happened? They called a foul, and P.J. Tucker got to go down and shoot two free throws. And then the game's over. That 99-99. Game's right there for the taking. And methodically, down the stretch, you made mistakes while the other team executed. That is the biggest weakness of this Boston team. They are a bad execution team. Now, I've had people say, you know, Jason, if, if Boston is the most talented team on both ends... If they can't execute, doesn't that mean they're a bad team? If they're unfocused, doesn't that mean they're a bad team? If they're too volatile and they're spread between their good side and their bad side, doesn't that mean they're a bad team? Well, I think bad's not the right word, but you're that's that's a very fair point. If a team is persistently showing you they are inconsistent, then you can't evaluate them by their upside. You have to evaluate them by kind of the average between the two. And so here's the thing. If Miami goes home in game seven and wins, Miami is the better team. Not in talent, but they're the better basketball team. Because the best basketball teams in the world do execute on both ends of the floor. The best basketball teams in the world do try hard every single night. The best basketball teams in the world are sharp. And Boston is not. That's why, even though I said Boston is the most talented team in the league, when the series was tied at two, what did I tell you guys? They're not out of the woods yet. Because they're just as likely to blow this as they are to win it. When I was making my prediction about the Golden State-Boston finals, potentially, when I was breaking that down last night, what did I say? I'm siding with Golden State because I trust them more to execute their game plan and to reach their individual ceilings and their team ceiling. That Boston has tried. Look, it's a it's an old you know little life philosophy. When someone tries again and again to show you who they are, believe them. Boston has shown us they are untrustworthy, so it, it doesn't make sense to trust them. I mean, looking forward to Game Seven, Boston should win, right? They're more talented on both ends of the floor. That's what happened in Milwaukee, right? They toasted off game five at home and then they went into Milwaukee and even when they were trailing a little bit late, they just put it all together finally and hit their ceiling and beat that Milwaukee team. That's very possible in game seven. My thing is like, I'm a big believer in the basketball gods. I'm a big believer in basketball karma. I don't know what you want to call it. But like this has to burn them eventually. This volatility has to eventually burn this team. And it, I, it might be in Game 7 against Miami, or it might be against Golden State in the finals. We'll see. 
But I just, I can't imagine a team that is this volatile and that executes this poorly hoisting up the Larry O'Brien trophy. I would be shocked at this point. Obviously, it's still a possibility, and my predictions have been all over the place in this playoff run, as 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 many incensed Warriors fans have been uh, uh, kind enough to let me know. But, I mean, I, I don't know what to expect from this Boston team. Predicting with them feels like a fool's errand. Last thing I want to talk about tonight was Jason Tatum. Again, he had 30. He was efficient. I thought he, I think he only took like 12 shots. Did a really nice job kind of navigating uh, as a decoy throughout the night, but too many mistakes, seven turnovers. And when Miami scores 22 points off of turnovers in the game, again, you're fe- you're spoon-feeding them offense when they're a team that struggles to score in the half court. That can't happen. Now, Jason Tatum is a player that I look at as, you know, uh, in that tier of superstars, right? We've talked about that a lot in this playoff run. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Warm weather brings many outdoor activities. Happy hours after work, weekend hikes, pool parties, and family barbecues. With all that time spent in the sun, we're often not thinking about what it's doing to our hair. Those rays can seriously affect your scalp and hair, making right now the perfect time to start taking Nutrafol to help keep your hair healthy this summer. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology, life stage, and lifestyle factors. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Get results you can run your fingers through. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N U T. R-A-F-O-L dot com, promo code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code HOOPS. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience, combined with 
new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving installations and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. But here's the thing. Jimmy Butler's not that guy. And he's outplayed you three times in this series. And all three times, it led to a win. So at a certain point, like if you're Jason Tatum and you are that superstar, you have to come through. I... I I wish I could say that I feel confident that he's going to go into Miami in Game 7 and close the deal, but I, I just don't know. He should have closed the deal tonight. I mean, he's he's seen the traps often in this series. He's seen Tatum playing passing lanes nonstop in this series. Or excuse me, uh, Jimmy Butler playing passing lanes nonstop in the series. He knew tonight and still turned the ball over seven times. It was a bizarre performance. So lots on stake at stake for him too going into Game 7 to close this deal. That's the nature of the expectations that come with being a superstar. Gun to my head, if I had to pick a team in Game 7, I'd pick Boston, but I damn sure don't feel good about it. And if anything, I'll be rooting for Miami (laughs) because Boston took away my weekend. All right, so the Lakers have a new head coach. I wanted to take a couple of minutes tonight to break down why I think Darvin Ham is such a good hire. Talk a little bit about the Lakers front office and what's next for them, as well as just what I expect moving forward as, as they're rounding out the rest of the coaching staff. So, um, you know, it, they narrowed it down to Terry Stotts and Kenny Atkinson and Darvin Ham. There were some rumors out there about Doc Rivers. We'll get to those in just a few minutes. Uh, the Kenny Atkinson and Terry Stotts examples, I didn't think they were bad options necessarily. I think both of them have a, a little bit more experience in terms of offensive organization as head coaches, and they've demonstrated in their personal experience better offensive organization. And I do think offensive organization is vitally important to this Lakers team to a certain extent, but I think there's something far more important to this Lakers team, and that's restoring their identity that they built in the 2020 season, which was as a defensive team. And as you're seeing routinely in this playoff run, it is the teams that hang their hat on the defensive end that end up having the most success, especially as you get later into the postseason. So first of all, schematically, I think it's a seamless transition for Darvin Ham with what he brings over from Milwaukee to the Lakers. The Bucks ran a twin rim protector system. They used Giannis and Brooke Lopez at the same time, typically Giannis navigating the screen and roll coverage because he's more mobile, and Brooke Lopez on the back line as a rim protector. But there was some interchangeability there, although Brooke wasn't as good in his drop coverage as Giannis was. As you can see, Giannis is capable of some things in drop coverage that are, you know, no other NBA player can do, like his block that he had on DeAndre Ayton in the NBA Finals last year. But what I like about that coverage is I think it's a good example of a coverage that can help the Lakers eat innings in the regular season. I prefer switching defenses. I've laid this out in detail on the show. I think it baits teams into isolation basketball. I think it's easier on teams physically because they don't have to fight through screens as often. It takes the strain of defense off of the the physical elements and puts it on your brain. As long as you're focused and paying attention and you're communicating with your teammates, you can run a successful switching scheme without having to battle through a ton of physicality, right? But... 
A couple of things. First of all, teams don't like to switch too much in the regular season because those physical mismatches lead to wear and tear. Also, it requires a certain type of personnel. You can't run a a successful switching scheme unless you have at least three or four really solid perimeter defenders on the team. Uh, you, You can do what you've seen Miami and Golden State do where you have your weaker defenders do hedges and like basically do a hedge and recover to avoid a switch, but you can't do that when everyone on the floor is a defensive liability. You need a certain amount of overall defensive talent on the roster in order to make that work. A lot is up in the air in that department for the Lakers. We don't know what they're going to be able to accomplish this offseason. They don't have a ton of options. So much comes down to what they can get back for Russ. So much comes down to what they can find in the veteran minimum market, changing their priorities from the types of players that they targeted last offseason, which obviously did not pan out. If I hope that they can target enough bigger, stronger perimeter players that defend well, that they can do more switching, but chances are that they won't be able to do that as much. And they'll have to be a team like Milwaukee that relies heavily on drop coverage as they go into the postseason. So because of that, I like the idea of taking Darvin Ham's twin rim protector scheme that he helped run with Milwaukee and bringing that into LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Plus, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, for all of their issues with being engaged and caring on the defensive end, when they care, they're actually a better defensive duo than Brook Lopez and Giannis. So you could see a version of that working extremely well. So I love the, the schematic transition coming from Milwaukee to LA for Darwin. But that buy-in, that that trying on defense part that I just hinted at, is the second and is the second big element here, and arguably the most important. You know, for everything that we can talk about with the Lakers over the course of the last two seasons, there were two consistent issues. One, LeBron James and Anthony Davis weren't on the floor together enough. Over the course of the last two seasons, it just was an in, incessant. Uh, line of injury to one guy or the other. It was incredibly discouraging and it never seemed like they could get a consistent stretch of games where the two guys were playing. But then last season, Anthony Davis had a bad defensive season by his standards in terms of his overall engagement. And then this last season, LeBron James and Anthony Davis had bad defensive seasons by their personal standards. And I think a lot of that has to do with just their egos and them having a hard time buying into these established kind of uh, uh, traditional types of coaches, these guys that have been around the league for a long time, the guys that aren't former players that don't really resonate with them when they're trying to look at them in the face and be like, hey man, I need you to play some defense. I saw LeBron James tune out Frank Vogel. I saw Anthony Davis tune out Frank Vogel. I saw LeBron James tune out David Blatt back in 2016. It's been a, a pretty consistent theme for those guys. But I don't think it's a coincidence that you're seeing a lot of former players, guys like Jason Kidd, guys like Ty Lue, guys like Ime Udoka, guys that were not just former NBA players, but former NBA players that played relatively recently in the league in a way that they can you know, have some common ground with these players, and also a, players that had a persona that was tough. Players that their their the impact that they had on the locker room as players was infectious toughness. I think that specific archetype archetype of coach is having a lot of success these days, resonating with some of the egotistical players around the league. Like I said before, you you guys have seen Boston under Ime Udoka go from a team that was notoriously soft to a team that was remarkably tough and has won some huge playoff games with their back against the wall in this playoff run. Right. You've seen Ty Lue and all the success he's had with the Clippers. You saw Jason Kidd finally get the Dallas Mavericks to play defense. 
Luka Doncic, for all of his issues on defense, had a better season on that end than he's had in years past. That's the example of a a tough former player having an impact on their on big egos in the locker room and getting them to commit to that end of the floor. So I love the example that Darvin Ham kind of fits into and the way that I believe he will resonate with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, getting them not just on the floor, which is out of his control, but dialed in and bought in when they are on the floor, which is arguably the most important detail. And last but not least tonight, you know, I've been incredibly critical of the Lakers front office and ownership group over the course of the last couple of years. And for good reason. I don't need to get into the details again, but they have burnt so many bridges for me as a as a, as someone who covered the franchise over the course of the last couple of years. I don't trust them at all. And all that criticism that I levity on them, I believe was fair. And criticism is an important part of this job, but I also believe fairness is an important part of this job. If I'm going to be critical of you, it's it's incumbent on me to also call out your successes. You know, I don't agree with everything they did during this coaching search. I didn't believe it was necessary to continue to consult with, you know, play, uh, coaches and personalities that aren't involved in the NBA anymore, guys like Magic Johnson, guys like Phil Jackson. I disagreed with that approach personally, but in terms of the candidates they interviewed, the things that they prioritized, I loved their list of finalists, and then they picked the guy that I liked the most, the guy that I thought was best equipped for this job. So, you know, for a team that and an ownership group and a front office that has had a pretty ugly history, I got to tip the cap to them this time. They did they did what I believe was a very um a very a procedural, smart, patient and, you know, properly motivated coaching search. So, hats off to them. You know, but this is the thing. As is always the case, you know, the best indicator of future performance is past performance. And I'm worried about the future steps after this point. Now we have to round out the coaching staff with qualified candidates that complement Darvin Ham's uh, persona, right? It'd be great to have a guy who's specialist, who's a specialist in offensive organization, spacing concepts, things that I believe are vitally important in the playoff run. And then they have to round out the roster. You've got to give Darvin Ham the tools necessary to succeed. One of the things that I'm personally worried about for Darvin Ham is that this team is so poorly run that he's going to end up being the next scapegoat for issues that are brought on by Rob Palinka and Jeannie Buss. I sincerely hope that's not the case. This is the first step in the right direction. They've got a lot more to do. But I'm very excited for Darvin Ham. This was the this is the first step in restoring the Lakers to where they were in 2020. Uh, but anyway, that's all I have for tonight, guys. I sincerely appreciate your support as always. Again, if you guys could take the time to like this video, I would sincerely appreciate that. It helps us a lot. If you could subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel, follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys can see my video content and then subscribe to our podcast feeds that are under Lakers tonight. We will be going live I, I actually, I don't think we're going live because I believe my producer is still out of town. So we're going to be doing a video reaction just like this after game seven on Sunday night. And I will see you guys then. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Kevin Hart here. This basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back on everything. Even the sound system that auto-tunes the game. Curry from way 
down. Defense! Will the owner of a red sedan please visit guest services? Bet you've never heard cash back and sound like that. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.